Welcome back to the Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker, and creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. As always, we are back for another film with another guest as we look at the film, the 1964 film, Woman in the Dunes, with our wonderful guest, Leah Burns. What's up? The Dream Team is back in action, right? <laughs> Yeah, back together again. It's been a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. You know what's it called? It's 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 the dream team all over again. You know, we for the last time this season. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because usually you 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 were gonna have four picks this season, and grad school happened to you. So then you're like, nope. Yeah. I gotta break those apart. We'll do two next season, and then mm-hmm. we'll see about that. But, yeah. Um, a lot of stuff going on, but I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> I think I'm, we 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 just made it right. We were able to just make it on. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's 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 been nuts. How are you doing, Leah? Pretty good. I'm finishing up a couple assignments for grad school, and then I have a whole month off. So I also just moved, so I'm gonna decorate my my house basically. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. I I am in the process of moving as well. Everything is going nuts here. I am losing my fucking mind out here. Oh, yeah. I've already lost it at this point, but losing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We'll be fine, right? I I, I wish, I hope we are. God, I am just absolutely fucking losing it here. I know. Um, It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, but of course we are, um, we are going to be talking about Woman the Dooms today. Uh, of course, last time Leia was here, we did talk about Ginger Snaps, which was a really interesting movie. (laughs) Um, why am I always so excited for Leah to come on? Why? Because Leah's the only person who does the erotic films with me. And it's like, why? Why is she the only one who wants to do them? And I... Like you laugh, but like I know I'm the only one who wants to do them, and I'm like I love it. Like I, every time I'm gonna bring uh, Leon, like I'm so excited because somebody gets to talk about these type of movies with me. I just I I enjoy them. It's just really funny that you say that because um, whenever I would go visit a friend's house when I was like younger, like in high school we would always just pop up movies in the living room and Mm -hmm. always, always, always her dad would just walk in the room as soon as there's like a sex scene on the screen. And he really thought I was like a porn addict or something. He was like, Leah, why every time you come over, there's (laughs) pornography on my screen. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, um, I, I like, I like these movies a little too much from what, uh, yeah, I, I, they're just like they're interesting, and I feel like like even though yeah, there's a lot of booba on the screen or whatever, yeah. like there's a lot going on, <laughs> so they're fun. Yeah, you know, if, if I, what's it called? It ain't what's it called? Pornography. You know, just learn to not be a prude. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said it with love. He would always yeah. joke whenever I was in the house. He's like, "There's the porn addict," and I'm like, the porn "What's addict. up, baby?" <laughs> what's up? But um. <laughs> Oh, what a complete 180 from the last movie we talked about because Ginger Snaps is so bit is so different from fucking Woman of the Dunes. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm excited though because this is a movie that I had been wanting to watch for a while now. Um, 
specifically because one of my favorite directors uh, loves this film. And this is also one of the 10 favorite movies of my another director that I love. And it's just, it's wild that this movie was a blind spot for me. And I've been waiting to watch this one for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, there's, there's a, there's a lot that's going on in here that I really want to talk about, but of course, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course uh, I also bought the Blu-ray for this. Uh, you know, this was one that I was, I used, so I was saying this joke on, on live show, but I'll say it again here. Um, this podcast is perfect because I use this as my excuse for buying some of these Criterion uh, mm-hmm. Blu-rays because I said, oh, I need them for podcasts, so I might as well buy it. You know, there's also some that I bought and I was like, hey, who wants to do an episode of the podcast on this? Because that's the only way I'm going to justify it in my brain that I spent this much money. So, um, Well, you just yeah. let me know what other movies you want to buy and maybe, you know, yeah. <laughs> I will it's do like one of these with you. So- Fazolini's uh, trilogy of life here with the Canterbury Tales and the Decameron and the Arabian Nights, but um, we'll see what's up. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited, and let's go ahead and just uh, kind of like start introducing the filmmaker and the um, and the film because I really don't have anything else, y'all. I, I mean, y'all really enjoyed last week's episode, which I thank you all so much. I'm still very much. Uh, thinking about that film, Mommy is a beautiful movie. It was a great movie, and um, I'm, I'm I'm now I'm thinking about this one because this one was really good too. But <laughs> uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about the filmmaker known as Hiroshi Teshihara, because we have never spoken about him. So Hiroshi Teshihara was born January 28th, 1927, in Shiora, Tokyo, Japan. His father taught uh, bought. His flower taught flower arrangements at his home <laughs> school. And in that school, uh, his father was the grand master of that school. Mm. He graduated from Tokyo National University of Fine Arts and Music in 1950. And he begins his career in mostly documentary filmmaking. But then he moves later into narrative work. Uh, his first film was Pitfall in 1962. And in March, his first of many collaborations with the author... Kobo Abe and the composer Toro Takemitsu, who all worked on this film as well. And Koro Abe is the author of Woman in the Dunes, the novel that he adapts for this movie. Uh, he still pursued sculpture making and flower arrangement professionally on the side during this time. But then in 1965, he becomes the first Japanese director to be nominated for, both, for best, uh, best Director uh, at the Academy Awards. For, for this movie, uh, for Women in the Dunes. His next feature uh, would be Summer Soldiers, and it's a film set in the Vietnam War. After that, he went, he goes ahead and he takes a step back and he makes more documentary uh, documentaries and then completely concentrates on flower arrangements because his father dies and he later becomes the, uh, and he became the grandmaster of that school that his father was the founder of in 1980. His last film was Princess Go in 1992. And he died at the age of 74 on April 14, 2001. Yeah, um, quite the man. Um, mm-hmm. Flower arrangements, that's, I've never heard of that. You know, That's really cool. I didn't, I obviously, I don't know much about this director. I did watch this film for like a Japanese cinema class, but that was years ago. And I don't think we ever mentioned the fact that he was a flower arranger. Was it like Ikebana or just... 
just flower? Did it just say just ikebana. flower arrangement? Okay, cool. Ikebana. Yeah. When I was in Japan, I took an ikebana class from like a flower <laughs> master, so it's fun. He did not fully like mine, I don't think, but he didn't say that specifically. He was just like, uh, your flowers are too short. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Well, let's talk about women in the dunes here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to what's it called? A, um, you know, I, I forget that I don't actually like what's it called read synopsis on here. And to be fair, the synopsis you find on IMDb kind of suck for these movies. So I like to go to the Criterion Collection because they always have really well thought out, beautiful written synopsis. Um, so this is a synopsis for Woman in the Dunes. One of the 1960s great international art house sensations, Woman in the Dunes, Suna Noomna, was for the many the grand unveiling of the surreal, ideo, uh, idiosyncratic world of Hiroshi Techihara. Eiji Okada plays an amateur and uh, entomologist who was who has left Tokyo to study an unclassified species of beetle found in a vast desert. When he misses his bus back to civilization, he is persuaded to spend the night with a young widow, Kyoko Kishida, in her hut at the bottom of a sand dune, which results in one of cinema's most unnerving and palpably erotic battles of the sexes, <laughs> as well as a nightmarish depiction of everyday life as a Sisyphean Sisyphean struggle, an achievement that garnered Teshihara an Academy Award nomination for Best Director. Uh, I love that palpably erotic. Palpably erotic, yeah. (laughs) Nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Director and Best Foreign Language Film based on the 1962 novel by Kobo Abe. The screenplay is by Abe, who Teshihara collaborated on two films before this one. Shot on location in the Totori sand dunes in the Tori Prefecture, Japan. It is the only large sand dune system to be found in Japan and was created by sediment deposits from the Shugoku Mountains. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, I wanted to read something else here because I think that uh, the incredible Isabel Sandoval really like encapsulates a lot of what this movie is going to say as we go into this like conversation about it. And uh, you can go ahead and read her thoughts on this movie um, on The Current from Criterion's uh, website. Uh, she says, I feel it's the Id- is the id visualized as cinema. It's raging, it's primal, it's brutal. A film like this shows you how lacking contemporary American cinema is in eroticism, which is about the unleashing of a woman's power. The image of the woman character with her mouth open in the throes of sexual ecstasy as she clutches the man is on uh, on top of her is so in de- in de- indel- indelible. Uh, it makes me recall this quote from uh, Adre Lord. The erotic has often bis- been misnamed by men and has in, 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 uh, has been misnamed by men and used against women. It has been made into the confused, the trivial, the psychotic the plasticized sensation. For this reason, we have often turned away from the exploration and consideration of the erotic as a source of power and information, confusing it with its opposite, the, po- the pornographic. But porno- pornography is a direct de- denial of the power of the erotic, for it represents the suppression of true feeling. Pornography emphasizes sensation without feeling. The erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self the chaos of our strongest feelings. 
It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which we once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. In the love scene in my film, I attempt to depict and flesh out that particular idea. It's fascinating to me that how the woman and woman in the dunes is, dem is demonized for her erotic power. Sexual desire is something I'd like to explore more in my films, and I'd be curious to see how mainstream culture reacts to that. It's incredible, Isabel Sandoval, a great film, yeah. Filipina filmmaker. Uh, I've heard amazing things about her movies, and it's someone who I've been wanting to like explore more because she makes some crazy good movies, apparently. I really like that the erotic like creating like this sense of self too because like I yeah. feel like that was like a really that's like a thing in Abe's work too where I've I found um this like essay called The Frontier with well it's about his book The Frontier Within and they're saying that he like uses sex as like a metaphor for the human condition so it's just like that's good stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um well let's go ahead and get into this into our conversation of about Woman in the Dunes and from the year 1964. All right. So today we don't get to talk about castration anxiety, but we go ahead and we get to talk about voyeurism, baby. We get to talk yeah. about voyeurism. Yeah. Um, I'm sad there's no castration anxiety. Um, no. Since that's usually what comes up every time I'm on here. Yeah. This right. time... This time there wasn't, and it kind of it kind of sucks, you know. You didn't get to what to go bring it in here, but uh, you know what? Uh, we do get some voyeurism, and that's just as equally fun to talk about. Because, it is, it is. Um, because everybody in this movie is repressed beyond belief from sex. They are all sexually repressed as fuck. Um, but let's go ahead and get into some of these themes that I brought up in here that I I, I thought I really wanted to get into. Um, I think. I'm going to go ahead and get a little bit of the technical stuff right out the way, because I think that's the stuff that, of course, you know, it's really interesting how we kind of depict a lot of those technical stuff in here, but let's be honest, we're here to chew into this movie and we'll talk about more of like, you know, the erratic and you know about all the other stuff that's going on in here. Mm -hmm. um, I specifically really want to talk about the music and the sound in this film, uh, because I think that's what kind of adds to the, to the very unsettling nature of this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> from the get go. It, it it's not like oh we're gonna start off with this like really soothing music and then go from that into like really odd and really what's it called scary music no 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 from the get-go it's like no i'm giving you this really unsettling music <laughs> and uh it helps out a lot but you know just not the music the sound like just the noise of like i think it was like like the razor kind of like rushing against the skin and you could feel like the razor was going through the sand on the skin and mm -hmm. you could just hear the and it's, it's like a rusty like pair of scissors too yeah. <laughs> like, I'm uh, like uh, that's how you get tetanus but it's fine, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah so that like really really adds to like this unsettling nature of this movie which kind of made to me at times i kind of felt like a little bit of crawling on my skin like i just felt like oh this is making me feel mm -hmm. so odd especially because we would get really tight in there to see the skin with the camera and you could literally see all the particles of the sand like all around the cheek and the neck and oh god what did you think about all that leah like the close-ups of the sand <laughs> or just all of it i mean okay i do have several notes throughout here about how unsettling for sure, like the music and the sounds were. Um, I also like, okay, my cat was watching it with me for a while and she was like horrified every time like the music amped up, mm -hmm. just like 
those like was it like violins or something just very eerie sounds and they they set her completely on edge and me on edge but it was interesting how like oftentimes those like really unsettling sounds were kind of like accompanying like an actual like really pretty like scene like the sand dunes like just sand trickling down and it feels very calming and then you have like the the like unsettling music just accompanying it and so suddenly it's just very not it's not a good time like you're just like okay first the sand was cool and now I'm like not liking it as much and the close-ups of the sand yeah were very uncomfortable they made me feel just very itchy and gritty and I was like (laughs) I need to take a shower (laughs) just watching this Yeah, and, like, the camera gets really tight in there, too, and, like, it's constantly, like, a little handheld in there and a little bit of steady cam from what I can see, and it, mm-hmm. like, it really, really puts you in there with them, where it kind of feels like, especially that sex scene, it really feels like, yeah, I think I'm here. I was watching these two kind of fuck here, because, like, camera is not, like, cutting. It's just, like, it's there. It's it's just there, and it's, it's staying there, and it, like, it really kind of helps like amplify this like unsettling nature, but also mm-hmm. at the same time kind of provide this feeling of release. Mm-hmm. There were some like quotes I wrote down because I was like reading what others thought about it too. And some like these two like descriptions I felt were perfect. It, there was softly distressing <laughs> and claustrophobic. And I was like, yeah, I definitely, definitely felt that. <laughs> 100%. Um, I 100% agree with that because it was incredibly claustrophobic. Um, to the point where I was like, I think I have this the whole p- hut pretty much memorized now. Mm-hmm. This is also yeah. got to be like the cheapest movie to fucking make. Let's be yeah, very small set. Um, I was reading about the book too and that's just how the book was written too like everyone was like it felt like he wrote this book intentionally for the stage because everything occurs right inside the hut or right outside of it so it's like perfect for a (laughs) stage production and I just thought that was really interesting (laughs) and I was reading up on Tishihara apparently he really got into stage uh, in art direction too so oh uh, yeah that's I guess that really isn't a whole uh what's it called um coincidence at all Knowing mm-hmm. that his, his what's it called partner for writing was a fucking was an author that made it feel like it was a uh, ready for the stage, but mm-hmm. I yeah, and um, so like all of these aspects really kind of help to create like this amp- like really odd and kind of like you know very like goosebumpy nature of this movie, especially when you're able to put these like double exposures of sand on the skin, like. There's this like first one of the first shots when he sees the woman. What's it called? Where he sees the sand lines, but it's also kind of a double exposure of a woman of the woman's like curves there mm-hmm. too. And it's like, holy shit, man! You are going like really like into here. And like, there's a shot where like he's like like his face and like his eyes are are out, and you just see the sand like around mm-hmm. his eyes. Like, holy crap! Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, like, when they first show her, like, 
like sleeping naked with the sand like completely coating her body and she's just Mm -hmm. like she's so used to it like the sand is like a part of her like it's just kind of like a second skin like she doesn't care and the guy is just sitting there with like that little like wipe he has and he's just like trying to like wipe off all of the sand just while Mm -hmm. watching her like he carries it around for so long like for the first couple days at least while he's trapped and you just see how much he just does not want the sand on him and eventually he gives in to and like becomes covered like you said just like she was so i thought that was embrace the sand yeah embrace embrace it (laughs) yeah um um, yeah just embrace it at that point like if i'm in that situation i'm just like fuck it you know whatever you know i'm gonna get sand of course like you know if you want to what's it called uh take some out of your ass crack or something i don't know but like, i know that's like the main thing like with the sex scene too i'm like i i get that this is like erotic but i just feel unsettled thinking about everywhere it's going everywhere <laughs> like, literally everywhere yeah like i um, know they just wiped the sand off of themselves but they were covered again instantly so i'm just kind of like i can't <laughs> It's just so freaking <laughs> uncomfortable to just see them doing that, and then you're just like, it's it's Where getting everywhere. Like yeah. it's getting into pee holes. It's getting into fucking uteruses. And it's like everywhere. I, yeah, uh, yeah. I did not. I did not love that. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. I just I thought about like because like everybody has at one hopefully everyone has at one point gone to the beach when you go to the beach you always go to take a shower at the little nearby showers they have there why because the sand finds its way to really get all up in there you know you're, you could literally just be sitting down you know just chilling out and somehow that sand has found its way into like your ass cheeks or like your back where you didn't, weren't even like you know, it doesn't matter. It somehow found its way in there. So to be living under a sand dune and then for it to, like, to have sex on the on the fucking beach, I, the sand dunes, it's like, come on. Yeah, God. and they don't yeah. shower daily. Like, they just take the little bucket baths every couple days is what it What's seemed like. <laughs> so I was just like, this, uh, it's not... I- like I don't know it felt more unsettling than erotic to me too and like while they're like making out like her hair is just like in her mouth and they're just like making out with her hair also and I was like help (laughs) I don't watch this (laughs) yeah but I mean like the desert really kind of provides a really what's it called interesting place for this movie to kind of what's it called unveil itself because I don't think you can do this like in the tundras in in Siberia or something like you know this like that unsettling nature of sand coupled with how expansive a sand dune is like area like thinking the desert like mm-hmm. it feels like it's going on forever and you're never going to find your way out or just the unpredictability of being like oh am I going to step into quicksand am I going to step somewhere else like am I going to be able to get out of here it just the desert climate that they find themselves in just really kind of phones that in really good. Like where it's like, damn, I really do feel this sense of anxiety that this man is feeling because even if he gets out of there, how the fuck is he going to get back to land? He doesn't yeah. know where the hell to go. 
the sand is a prison is what uh david mitchell said i was reading one of his reviews and he's like the sand is quite literally a, a prison. prison he says literally symbolically and not just for the man we too are down in this burning sand pit basically <laughs> like we have to we're like stuck in this meaningless toil of scooping well they're they're scooping the sand mm -hmm. but you know yeah we have life things so sand is a prison <laughs> yeah the sand is a prison and inside of the sand there's exploitative labor um power dynamics voyeurism <laughs> yeah and just this beautiful depiction of primitive behavior <laughs> yeah i wrote like the sand is life meaningless endless toil gritty and uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. let the let the sand flow not the spice let the sand flow um <laughs> but i mean it's true you know and and that's why probably this woman feels so lonely because you know she's like been there so long and she doesn't even know how the hell to get out you know yeah. finally she gets somebody who could come down yeah it's kind of harsh that they lured him in but like she finally has company and it seems that like she's finally feels like safe mm -hmm. because she's I just think... like a very lonely lonely woman and takes yeah. everything very personally like whenever he tries to escape like she's like oh it's because he doesn't love me but it's like you trapped him there against Trapped his will <laughs> i think he doesn't love you dude it's the it's like man is trying to go home i know you... i what do i have here like she like loves her like living in the dune pit though also which is i find very odd considering it is also what like killed her husband and daughter like and she's just mm -hmm. like i i like it like he's like how can you stand being trapped? Like, it's pointless. And she just says, like, this is my home. Like, yeah. why would I want to leave? <laughs> well, after a while, that isolation feels like home. And it feels like the only thing that you kind of have, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, it doesn't, it's not going to move past that. And, you know, this is where I pretty much am now. There is no absolute sign of me leaving anytime soon. So might as well just get used to it. And it looks like she likes her home honestly like there are bits and pieces in this film where it looks like this woman is like honestly comfortable living in this freaking sand dude she and is like i think that's all she's known her whole life too because she talks about how like they don't have that many people left in the village because a lot of the kids will leave but she mm -hmm. hasn't left like she's part of this village and she doesn't want it to be consumed by sand even if this random outsider guy thinks it's completely pointless to live there because <laughs> she yeah. did make some good points whenever he was like it's pointless doing this every single day and she's like well what else would i do and he's like well you could go walk around and she's like isn't it exhausting just walking around aimlessly doing like nothing too. she has a purpose and it's to keep her village from being buried in sand <laughs> yeah and it's like that brings up like and i and i guess we'll go into one of these first what's it called themes i have in here the whole idea of like freedom versus like free will or like you know her purpose here because mm -hmm. this man you you could not have the most two different characters in this film you know you have a man who what's called lives in tokyo he has a job he comes over just on his own because he wants to what's it called find this beetle and the tiger I think he, beetle <laughs> yeah and uh by the way when i first what's it called saw that this movie was including bugs i immediately thought 
oh, no wonder Leah bought Leah picked this one because Leah loves bugs. <laughs> Whereas I have to deal with bugs getting into my fucking room every single day because of my what's it called air conditioned vent, and I hate it. They're I hate it. They're buddies, they're friends. Not I do have a fun. You. Um, I do have a fun bug fact though that ties into the theme of the movie. If you would like to hear it, um, so the very well, not the very first bug. The first bug he picks up in the desert is like a hornworm. But when he, um, like, do you remember the little beetle he found in the sand with like the pinchy jaws and stuff? And he picks it up and he puts it in his little tube. That mm-hmm. is an ant lion. Um, and ant lions, um, the larvae, they're known for how they catch their prey, right? So they dig these little sand pits. And they wait hidden beneath the sand. And as ants and other little critters walk by, they tumble down into the pit and the larva pops out and eats it and like sucks it down. And if the ants try to escape, they can fling sand to like keep them trapped in this pit. So it was like, wow, that's just like a metaphor for the whole fucking movie, really. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, yeah. but yeah. And- <laughs> And I'm not surprised, though, because I think this whole movie is more metaphorical than anything. I mean, because this is a Japanese New Wave film. A lot Mm -hmm. of Japanese New Wave movies were, like, very much about existence and the idea of purpose and, Mm -hmm. you know, about freedom and free will. And, you know, I mean, they they literally just had gotten out of fucking World War II. They, you know... If you thought their movie was going to be really happy, you you had another thing coming. Well, yeah, I know it was probably really intentional because I was, while I was reading about Abe, the guy who wrote the book, Mm -hmm. he was, um, like, he collected bugs as a hobby. Like, he knew. He knew exactly what he was doing when he put that there. But it's just like, if people don't really know about bugs, they might miss that. So I thought thought the people should know. (laughs) I like it. I like it. It brings a new perspective to the show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nothing you could say could ever get me to feel uh, comfortable with bugs. So, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I love them. But I I don't know if while we're just talking about bugs, I just think it was also very clever how they like juxtapose like him having all of these bugs and they're like trapped in these little tiny like glass containers and like they yeah. kind of zoom in on them trying to escape all the time and it's like that's you, bro. Like, you're no better than a fucking bug. Like, this is your yeah. life now. <laughs> and it's, like, all just... All for just... It's not even his work. Like, this is just his, like, little it's side, side hobby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, while we're talking about purpose, too, I feel like that, you know, like, he... He was a school teacher living in Tokyo. Mm. But that wasn't going to get him notoriety, of course. So that's why he goes out trying to discover a new type of tiger beetle. Cause he was like, I want my name in like a field guide. So that's his purpose. It's kind of like to be known for some sort of scientific endeavor because he's, he's a school teacher. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's, I I think that's one of the anxieties that he feels while he's inside of the sand dune is like the fact that I'm going to stay here and in my in my head, I'm probably thinking like I really haven't done anything for people to remember me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be missing for seven years, and literally, it's not gonna matter because I have not amounted to anything that I can say that oh, I did something bad, grand. So me being able to spend the rest of my life in this sand dune is okay. But I think towards the end of the film, he kind of kind of comes to amends about that and what his purpose was and the fact that like, well, I'm here now. 
He wants to go. It doesn't matter yeah. anymore. Like, well, I think he just found a new purpose, and that was like he did find some sort of scientific endeavor to occupy himself with, and that was yeah. how do you get water in a desert? Well, capillary action, and he was like. Like one of the last things he says is that he was like bursting with a desire to tell someone about the pump, but it wasn't ready yet, you know, like, yeah. so I, I don't know. I feel like his purpose is just constantly shifting. Like at first, I don't really think he knows who he is or what he wants because the main reason he wants to leave right away is to go back to work. And it's like, well, you came out here to escape your job, <laughs> yeah. but now you're just desperate to get back. And, and the fact uh, that he says uh, like, Oh, everybody's going to notice that this school teacher is gone and y'all, and I'll get, I'll get found real quick. Like, it's okay. Let's go. And then once the days get longer and they, they pass more and he's just like, yeah, no one's going to come and find me. I need to get out of here real quick. Yeah. So his new purpose becomes escape. And he's like, I'm going to do it. But finally, when he can escape, he's already, changed his idea and he's like you know what this pump is cool like i'm gonna i'm gonna work with that yeah (laughs) i mean it it, it really does make for like really kind of interesting stuff there because of course the woman what's called has kind of like uh taken the time to really accept her new purpose and also understand that like she may not have the freedom to leave but she has the freedom to like what's it called be okay with the fact that she has a newfound purpose in life and that is to like take care of the people that are around her by making sure that this, you know, this village doesn't get covered in sand. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, this man is like, feels like he's completely stripped of that freedom. And while he's, while towards the end, he kind of realizes like, well, I do have the freedom to choose this new purpose and it's okay because it's like really close to what I used to do. So now this capillary action is going to probably get me notoriety with them. And hopefully maybe they'll be like, okay, don't worry. You can leave. Yeah. Yeah, what did somebody else hold on? I have so many notes. I was reading like the David Mitchell review and he was saying something about how someone watched it and they were like his will to freedom is just completely like crushed at the end. Like he has that chance to escape, but he's like, But I actually don't want to go anywhere. Like I'm gonna stay here and I'm just gonna work on this instead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that that could be like debated don't you think i know because, like, i think so yeah, too <laughs> that, that, that can be debated because like i think he just starts off at square one again but like in a new place and yeah you know we can't sit here and say like oh he's staying because he cares about the woman like no he doesn't no and i mean at that point we don't know what happens to her either i mean yeah. i feel like there was like some sort of tenderness for her but i don't think it was like really like love or anything like that i think it was more like pity like he's like it sucks yeah that you have no one and that you don't know what freedom is like (laughs) but yeah i just think it's interesting too that he does climb out of the pit at first and at first you're thinking oh okay like he's just gonna go home now but he goes we're done and he looks (laughs) at the sea he just like looks out at the vast horizon and is just like okay and then climbs right back into the pit Yeah, because I like I said, I think that's him realizing, like, even if I get out of here, I don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. I've been here for so long. I don't even remember how I got here. Well, at this point, he had only been there for a few months because they keep mentioning it, too. They're like, oh, it's been yeah. three months now. You really think, yeah. like, you're going to get out. So at that point, like, yeah, like, your job's probably over. I don't know. People probably think you're dead at this point. Yeah. But he stay. <laughs> and of course, and at the end, we find out he's been like missing for like seven years. And like at that point, yeah, yeah don't know. Well, yeah, because that 
yeah, apparently in the book they put that in the very first chapter. They like they let you know right away that he's gonna be gone <laughs> for, for years. seven years, which is basically like like they can like legally declare you dead at that point when you've been missing for that long. That's nuts. Yeah. So like it it just like it just means he never went back. Like he was like, oh, I'll, I'll I'm I can leave whenever I want. I can tell people, and then he just he just stayed there. No, he just stayed. He stayed. He stayed so that we could revel in the glory of finding this like Water huge pump. scientific breakthrough with the people in the village. You know? Yeah, I I wish we knew what happened to the woman though. Like after the fact, like it was just so like I found it just kind of like distressing that she worked so hard she was working like extra time to get this man a radio because she's like a radio will make you happy and then she finally gets it the day they have to take her away because she was sick <laughs> yeah. she didn't even get to enjoy it and i'm like come on please she just wanted the radio <laughs> this is the... too much like real life like please <laughs> don't do this to me yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know those those the people who like pretty much occupy them and like basically put them to work they're they're like pretty like oh god uh fucking let's talk about some exploitative labor here yeah um of course it's labor that they need to do in order to survive because that place would have been covered with that sand if they were not shoveling because like even she reminds him like constantly she's like if if only we just start working we'll be Mm -hmm. fine and it's like dude i get it but like you shouldn't have to be doing this to survive like you shouldn't have to lure people here so that way you can be okay. Like, these assholes should understand that you should get out of here and be okay. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's nuts. And uh, it really makes for, like, this, like, like, really fucked up power balance issue here where I think it's, it's, it's very much, like, reminiscent of probably how the Japanese people felt during, you know, what's it called, the, the role of the emperor and just being exploited day after day by them and being said, like, here's a really accurate depiction of pretty much what it felt to be, like, living under a dictatorship by this guy. Yeah. Um, um, I found, like, something as I was researching a little bit about it. So um, it was, like, part of this, like, David Mitchell review of the book. But he brings up, like, a really good point that, like, when you're reading this book or, I guess, watching the movie, like, taking in the story like Japanese people would realize that these villagers are like um the burakumen which is like a cast of untouchables so mm-hmm. these people were forced to work like unclean jobs and they were like looked down upon by society so it's like that's that's also why she doesn't give a shit like if um like yeah there's the sand selling scam is making somebody rich and it has the potential to harm people because they're using it for construction but the sand isn't the right consistency so it could like break and like hurt people and she's just like well mm-hmm. why should why should i care <laughs> why should i care what happens to the other people yeah. and the guy is like shocked by it but it's just like no one cares about them also yeah. like they're forced to just do this to survive yeah but yeah and it's it, and you really see the extent of how bad it gets because like you it's it's not like oh there's a little bit of sand coming in, no no no. When you see when it's hitting, you're seeing like all of it come down, mm-hmm. and you're like oh shit yeah they really do need to work because I don't think you could take another couple of days of this because soon all that sand is gonna start tumbling down, mm-hmm. and it's gonna get worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I, do we ever get an idea of what the hell those people on top are doing? Uh, like the villagers, I like who collect the sand. I'm pretty sure they just take it to that company. Like they're still, not, they're not yeah. getting rich off of it. They're just other villagers. Yeah. So it's just a very poor desert village forced to do some dumb shit to make money and survive, which, you know, is just like life. <laughs> pretty much, right? Hey. <laughs> but, um, these villagers, these villagers, man, every single, so I, I'm fine. Let's finally talk into, let's get into the, 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 the you know, the, 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 what's it called? The erotic here and the, um, just the overall depiction of fucking sexual repression here. God damn. Holy crap. So, um, everybody here is repressed. I mean beyond belief that they are able to start bringing out instruments and chanting in order to get someone to perform fucking public sex. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, our woman, she hasn't been with anybody since, like, her, her fucking husband passed. And, you know, this man, we know nothing about this man, you know. What's it called? You get hints in the beginning just when he's, like, he's thinking about, like, how the government creates our identity for us, you know, with like mm -hmm. government issued IDs. And then he like goes from talking about that to saying, um, hold on. <laughs> he says that men and women are slaves to their fear of being cheated. And as he's saying this, you see like an image of a woman around mm -hmm. him and it's not, it's not the sandpit woman. So we're led to believe that it's someone from Tokyo, like a woman that he knows, you know, <laughs> yeah. he probably got cheated on and, you know, has been pretty much what's going down and about, about because of that. Mm -hmm. But he also just the way that this man kind of stares at her at first, where, when she, what's it called? When she's on laying on the bed naked. And by the way, just the most beautiful use of contrast on there and how like you don't really see the nipple but it looks beautiful in the way that you see like the, the body kind of just laid out mm -hmm. and you see those curves kind of going and it's like you're not seeing a lot but like just the use of the light there is just fucking fantastic mm -hmm. um but you see the way that he just kind of looks at her and he's just like there and he's just like kind of in a way surprised but also you can tell that he probably hasn't seen a woman naked in a long time in a, in a bit because he's just like what do I do? Do I just keep staring? Do I leave? Do I, what, what do I do here? Like, he's just kind of like confused. And then I think he thinks that she's starting to wake up. So he just goes out to like, start like rushing off the sand and shit. But of course, as more time passes and they finally have sex, you know, they, they, what's it called? Which, which is a really interesting, what's it called? A uh, scene itself. God damn this dog. Um, what's it called? Uh, it's seen itself in the way that like, I have never seen it. Like, you know, really depicted where a woman really does look like she is having a lot of pleasure in this act. She was very There's... horny. Yeah. <laughs> you can just again... tell in her face just when he, she's, he's brushing the sand off. She's like, yeah. okay, nice. Haven't had I'm this not... in a while. <laughs> I'm not pretty like the city girls, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was sad. Said? Yeah, she was like, I know I don't look like all the pretty women in Tokyo. And he's like, shut up. Like, it's fine. It's like shut up, dude. You, you have to go. Don't worry. You're you're beautiful. Whatever. Um. And it's just what's it called? Uh. And yeah, they're because then she just starts grabbing on them and like 
And you're like, no, this 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 lady's been itching to get some too, like for a while. Well, yeah, and, and we don't know, empty. yeah, how long she's been alone down there. Yeah. Presumably a while. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other villagers on top, who are just probably the most primitive of the of of the bit of the bunch, because of course these two are primitive. Uh, I think that what's it called? Uh, the the man is probably the most primitive of the of, of the woman and the man because he really does kind of fall into this idea of wanting this barbaric idea to want to have public sex with her uh, just to like simply please her and be like, we can just fake it. It's okay. We can fake it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like this lady just doesn't want to do it. And he like engages in like this like barbaric violent act of trying to get her to do it. Yeah. But- he like part of his reasoning as he's like tugging at her, he's like, who cares? We're living like animals anyway. Yeah. Like they're just like little subjects in a zoo basically at that point to the villagers. Yeah. So he's just like, He's like very desperate. <laughs> yeah. And like and this is the thing that, that that I really start to ponder about with with the villagers on top. The villagers on top want to see them have sex. But like they really are voyeurs cuz like he could have just said like what we'll do it or like hey let us all run a train on her or something. Or like Ew. you know cuz well because at that time they view her and him as like husbands. Right. Yeah. As husband and wife. But I guess it kind of reinforces the idea of like this whole like caste system there where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, you're not worthy of us wanting to go down there to have sex with you. We'd rather just see you guys have sex because we don't want to kind of like interact with you all more than just exploitative labor. Yeah, I still think the villagers are part of part of this poor caste system, though. But also they're in the desert and don't have a lot to do, probably. So I think it's more of like just kind of picking on each other mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And of course, that kind of like kind of like what Isabel was saying in her uh, in her little excerpt, you know, that like kind of takes away from the power. Right. You know, like if you were to go down there, what's it called? And you have sex with that woman she unleashes her power and she changes the dynamic. But in this case, the men who are on top there all completely have the power in being able to uh, what's it called to uh, signify what uh, what's it called what's going to happen and it gets to the man but the woman is like nah, I'm not going to fucking do it you know that's just what's it called I don't want to do that you know what's it called and also I think they probably only had sex once that was a one time and that's it because it never felt like they were doing more than that um, I don't know it could have happened off screen cuz like he does get her pregnant by the end so <laughs> like yeah so i'm assuming that they have been doing it a few times like i feel like there was there wasn't like i don't know at least there wasn't love on his end probably mm-hmm. i mean i think she loved him but oh, like yeah. i know i don't know you could tell that he he had some sort of strange relationship with her and i think they did act as if they were husband and wife even if he was like it's just pretend like he probably thought it was all pretend and just a temporary situation you know (laughs) like so i'm assuming that they fucked on the regular but there was only just like that one scene that we saw (laughs) yeah in the book does it go more into that or do does it like um Um, i'm not 100 percent sure just because i haven't read the book but um... i read this um yeah, I want to read the book now. Um, I didn't have time to read it, though, before this, because I'm I'm reading a bunch of stuff for my classes still. But I found this um, this essay. Um, it's called Beyond the Skin by 
Andrew Furman. And in it, he talks about this book written by Andrea Dworkin called Intercourse. And it's like, he claims it's the best study in English of the Japanese writer Abe Kobe's fiction. And a lot of the premises she talks about, because she like, she looks at everything like Abe's written, basically. But she says that his protagonists are all lonely men who want to escape their loneliness by fusing themselves with a woman. So they they sec- have sex to escape their loneliness. Um, they want to abandon their suffocating sense of self, but also remain the master of the sexual encounters. Um, so all of the men in his stories are characteristically frustrated in their desires, but unwilling to sacrifice their sense of like self-possession. So like they, they kind of, they still want to like dominate like the woman in the bedroom, but they also, they don't like, they, they want to lose their sense of self, but they, they can't let it go, which I feel like is noticeable a lot just in the way that he talks to her. Like he's he's just like women or like men can't be like kept on a leash. Like he's just like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm gonna show you I'm a man. But like, yeah, women can't be kept (laughs) on a leash. But I'm gonna stay here because I really want to call one of what's it called? Uh, show them this uh, this scientific breakthrough. And it's like, you stay here, you're gonna be kept on a leash by these people, basically. Yeah, well, he doesn't want to be kept on a leash by her either. Like, he's like, I'll tell you when we can work. You don't work unless I tell you to, like, in the beginning, you know? Like, and he's just like, he very much wants to be in charge, but can't because he he has no control over the situation. Even when he tries to take control, there are other obstacles that keep him from, like, getting that. And another interesting thing that was, like, in this article um, was talking about, like, skin. So, like, um, Dworkin says that skin is the frontier between the remnant world, the absolute limit to what we can know of others. So, like, we can't, like, we can't truly know each other. And, like, that's why in, like, his stories, they're always trying to, like, fuse through, through sex to try to, like know one another it's yeah, like playing where they can know each other but ultimately yeah. even though our skin touches we don't really know each other and no yeah yeah and, and i think that's why like like that's why i found so interesting in isabel's like you know what's it called excerpt where she talks like this is basically the id visualized mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's our deepest desires that we all want but we can never what's it called fully express them because they're so locked inside of our brain that you mm-hmm. know that they're not able, they're like that's it's the stuff that we don't want to talk about, that we don't that, that we don't we don't even probably notice ourselves. Yeah. She also talked about this concept of like skinless sex. Yeah. And so she's saying like the skinless sex is obsession, but like obsession is too psychological. It becomes life, and as such, it is a state of being, a metaphysical reality for those in it for whom no one else exists. It ends when the skin comes back into the being as a boundary. And I was like, shit. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it makes sense. It really yeah. does. It 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 does. It's it's you know. Because then, like, if there is no skin, there is no part to obsess over. Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no, you know, body part, uh, reproductive body part to really, you know, to glorify. You know, there is nothing. It is simply just being and being. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like, 
just reading all of that was like interesting going back and thinking about all the close-ups like of the sand like clinging to the skin and everything too like it's good shit yeah the sand is its own character and it's trying to have it sex is. with these people too oh, no it's a prison but it is also its own what's it called being that wants to have sex with these people no um, i still feel like the sand i don't know isn't like like a being like it's like an external force yeah you know yeah oh no i'm just fucking around i know yeah, i, I know <laughs> but um but i mean it does get everywhere <laughs> it's rough coerced and gets everywhere Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's it called? Uh, these and, and and I and I came to the conclusion about voyeurism because and I and I want to call back to a film that I had seen. It's a really good film that I think everybody should watch. Um, Grzegorz Gizlowski's uh, a short film about love. Um, pretty much, uh, this guy spies on a woman who's you know across the street from him in a different building with a telescope and watches her have sex with multiple people uh, throughout with, with people throughout her day. And um, what's it called? That woman finds out and approaches him. So we kind of like break the barrier of, you know, fetish and subject, you know, it's, it's the fetish is confronted and uh, the voyeur gets to go out with the subject and I won't go past that because I would spoil the movie. But, like, it's kind of the same thing in here where they're like, oh, let, have public sex, right? You know, but, like, oh, shit, we got to go down there to fucking, what's it called, make sure that this woman is okay because, what's it called, she's about to die. And um, because she's, what's it called, pregnant, she's having, like, a, what's it called, a, a, like, a, basically like a pregnancy. Like a miscarriage. No, it's ectopic pregnancy. So it's, like, the baby is not where it's supposed to be growing. <laughs> Did I lose you for a second? You like glitched out? <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't lose me. You didn't lose oh, okay. Me. But, okay. Uh, yeah, just uh, what's it called? Uh, got interrupted here. But yeah, it's, so that, so Leah, can you, can you go a little bit into that? Because I, I obviously don't know. I thought it was a miscarriage. No, okay, so I all I wrote for this, I was like, this guy figured out an ectopic pregnancy by smelling her. Like that guy came down in the pit and's like touching her and he's like yeah. like sniffs her and I was like, what the fuck? Um, I don't know like all of the specifics, but I can pull up Wikipedia and tell you about it. So an ectopic pregnancy occurs when a fertilized egg implants and grows outside the main cavity of the uterus. Um it often occurs in a fallopian tube, which carries eggs from ovaries to the uterus. So it's like a tubal pregnancy. So it's just like, it's it's just not, it's not where it's supposed to be, you know? And like, it can, you can die from it if it's not treated properly. Um, so you have to get that shit just removed. Like that's, I think that's the only option is just take it out. <laughs> So I, that's why I'm like very concerned about her. And I'm like, I want to know if she made it because I'm not having hope about it. (laughs) The sad thing to me is I think that it, she probably didn't survive because that sounds like it's actually really fatal. And that Mm -hmm. the fact that they live all the way on the desert and probably don't have the necessary, you know, tools to be able to help her out. Yeah. She probably ended up dying. 
that's what I was like thinking and I'm like it's just kind of sad <laughs> like yeah, yeah. especially because like I don't know she was finally kind of getting the life she wanted and this guy ended up staying like he finally gave up his chance of like escape like maybe they could have been kind of happy together no but at the end uh he decides to not even give a shit about that because he's gonna go ahead and give him the scientific breakthrough and uh (laughs) then his name will be published in the newspaper because he's been gone for seven years yeah i just like i felt so bad for her the whole time because i'm like I honestly, I didn't give a shit if this guy ever escaped. Like, I kind of thought he was an asshole. And I was just like, you're yeah. kind of rude. And like, <laughs> like I mean, you know it my all. My interest <laughs> in this movie was completely with the woman. Because of yeah. the fact that, like, it just kind of like what it said here. And that's kind of why I like when you pick these movies. Because not like, first of all, y'all, uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, is it really like graphic? Like. No, the sex isn't even like it's not even like this is the you least don't really erotic see any of all the, yeah parts. I think you, you see s- a nipple. You see a nipple, but it's so <laughs> contrast that you can barely even see where the areola formed. <laughs> so you're good, but like that's why I I like when you pick these movies because of course nobody else wants to talk about these movies with me, you know yeah, nobody else. And people I don't think don't want to talk about sex or eroticism really. Like I think people just find it uncomfortable. But I'm well, just because like, I think that when they do, they will realize that erotic, erotic isn't the same as pornography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's something that they're not ready to confront the fact that they've been making this out to be a taboo for so long. Yeah. Whereas, I feel like, like some directors might not even know that either. They're like, ooh, erotic, and then they just fill their movie with, like, porn. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have some dudes who, like, don't even know, and they unintentionally make stuff that's like, oh, shit, dude, you actually made a really good movie here where you actually point out the fact and the power dynamic, and you're like, you didn't even notice. They're like, I, I kind of just shot this movie. And, like, <laughs> but in here, it's this woman completely has the power over this man. You know, even when he doesn't want to realize that he doesn't have the power uh well being... she's the she's the ant lion and he's the ant like mm-hmm. <laughs> she sucked him into her little trap yeah <laughs> and you know you don't ever get a lot of that in other movies and it's just really interesting to see that kind of depiction where it's like you have this woman who holds all the power you know it's not just sexually but you know what's it called um what's it called physically as well. And just the fact that she keeps him under here for so long. And this man truly is just a small little bug in this vast openness of this desert. And this woman really does hold the fate of her, his hands of him in her hands, because if she didn't get it through his skull that they need to work, he would have died. Yeah, yeah, and like the people were willing to just let him die too. They're like, "Oh, you won't work for me? Just fucking die, die in right. a little pit," you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's why, like, I I like that when you bring these movies because it's not simply sex that we watch here. Like, there's something more. And um, I don't know. I've never seen Secretary, and we're doing Secretary next 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 season because that's one of the picks. <laughs> yes, I was like, I forgot that I had like had that chosen. It's yeah. like it's. Okay, it's very cheesy, but so good. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, Soderbergh is like hit or miss sometimes, but I'm I'm willing to see that. But um, 
you know, it's you have you have hard candy and you also have secretaries. So I'm excited to see where we go with those two. But um, is there anything else you kind of want to bring up before we end it? Or, you know, there's some stuff that you took notes on that you really uh, want to bring up that can make some like a little sideline conversation here? Uh, let, let me see. Hold on. Let's see. We talked about kind of purpose and identity. We talked about eroticism. I think we touched on most of it, but I just like one of my notes is just funny because it's like it's a movie in the desert covered in sand. And my note is just everything is so moist. <laughs> like it, for a movie about sand, it's it's the it's the most moist movie ever. Yeah. And like the woman talks about that in the beginning, too. She was like. Oh yeah, the the sand it, it rots everything because it holds moisture. And the guy's like, "You're so fucking stupid! Like it does not." And then in yeah. the end, he's like, "Oh shit, maybe it she's does. right though." Yeah, because I can use <laughs> capillary action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't by know. By the way, I, yeah. <laughs> seeing him struggle at the beginning, like trying to get up, and he's like, "Let me just dig a like a little hole here. I can put my foot in there." Dude, it doesn't work like that. You're gonna fall. It's so sad, but also relatable because, like, I know I do that to myself. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to physically climb out of a sand pit, but just, like, everyday life, I feel like people just kind of make their lives way harder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they self-sabotage. They they don't think things through because they're desperate, and he just yeah. he wants to have some sort of hope that he'll get out. Like, one of his quotes is, like, even if it's just a lie, it's nice to have hope that things will change tomorrow. Yeah, but sadly, you know, the, the hope comes in at the end because, and even then, it's like, it, all it does is to fulfill this, like, self-fulfilling prophecy of yours of wanting to be important. And, and like, you know, there's hope, but really, how much hope is there? <laughs> Not much. It's uh, pretty slim. <laughs> It's pretty slim, yeah. And yeah, and that's why I say that my 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 interest in this movie was mostly with the woman because this guy has completely lost it. He doesn't really know what he wants to do anymore. What's called? But this woman is just like leveled. Like she she knows. Like she's perfectly comfortable with being here. Mm -hmm. She's very content, and I I just really like him trying to like talk her out of it too he's like ew why the fuck yeah. would you live here <laughs> like that's so dumb and she's like i like it here like i'm fine yeah. it's I'm so anti my like <laughs> it's so anti-communal you know like what's it called? It's very individualistic look of life and you'd be like ew this person who lives like completely different from me it's like, why don't you have to come over here? Why can't you be your own person? Why can't you come to the city? Oh, yeah. Why like, can't you come to Tokyo and join society instead of living yeah. out here doing your own little thing? Like, that's so weird. Come conform with me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, why why, why do you want to just stay in somewhere where you obviously, you know, don't have as much freedom? But, like, you kind of do because you're still happy, you know? You're still able to live. You're still able to mm -hmm. eat, you know? Of yeah. course, you're being given rations, but like, you know, <laughs> come and be a productive member of society, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. Abe's work is always just like kind of trying to like go against tradition and like, like the Japanese tradition, although he says you can't escape from it. Like it's a trap that's impossible to escape. But like he really wants 
his stories to like he said art must like temporarily disturb in order for people to like kind of like break free from that mold and like think more creatively and stuff and I'm like I like that I like that too you can you kind of have a point though like you know it's, yeah. it's it's you gotta what's it called you can't escape tradition right mm-hmm. because like I think you can even see it in his movie like she still goes to serve him food she's still yeah. what's it called it's like if we were truly wanting to break from tradition she would have said here's the stuff make it yourself yeah you know, this is his quote on it he says regardless of whether or not we problematize tradition it's impossible to escape from it tradition is pre- precisely that from which one can never escape no matter how much i might claim to lack tradition i am nevertheless forced for example to think within the linguistic structure of the japanese language like tradition and culture just it's like so ingrained in you but he actively tried to fight against it (laughs) you can only fight so much before it just completely what's it called overtakes you and you know always fight against it but you know in the end we always end up being brought back to square one and we just don't do anything after that but uh rip 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 very very bleak discussion today yeah very bleak but i mean this movie is great i'm not even gonna lie like this movie's really good i like this movie a lot really good i was trying to like explain what the movie's about to chris because he's never seen it this was my second time watching it Mm -hmm. and i was just like i don't know like not that much happens but then again everything happens like it's just it's a guy stuck in a sand pit like i don't (laughs) it's great If you have two and a half hours um, and you want to watch a guy crawling around in some sand, check it out. <laughs> yeah, fucking great movie. I, I really can't wait to look into the supplements on the on the Blu-ray here so I can see what else is in here. So I really do want to look at what's it called, probably these interviews and stuff. And there, I think there's like a film essay in there. But Yeah, um, and I'll update you if I end up reading the book. If I have time this break, I might go pick it up from the library and read through it. Because I'm just really interested to see the differences and like how that kind of how that feels because like I said they um people in their reviews were saying that in the very first chapter is when they put the missing persons report out and there's a little bit more backstory into like the main character and like that woman like there's more context like behind the woman he left behind like in Tokyo too so I want to I want to get the lore <laughs> the woman in the dunes the lore. lore yeah yeah <laughs> God damn it. But it's been great. It's been great, uh, Leah. I, I really always enjoy having you around. Of course, the Dream Team is awesome. Mm-hmm. Leah's been on a lot of other episodes. Uh, yeah. Most notably, you know, you can go and check out her past episodes on season one. We talked about, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about Hereditary, Midsummer, um, The Handmaiden, and I believe there was another one audition audition yes oh yes how could i forget about audition <laughs> love that movie um, so good and it's just like i wish that we would have had a little bit of abject in here in this uh movie. yeah so but like way, we still I, had you know some erotic stuff going on yeah well no just so i could bring up the fact that that one guy that i told you about who thought he was doing something by putting the wikipedia what's it called article definition of uh, abjectism and and I was like, dude, I know what I'm fucking talking about. I've actually read Chris Devo's work. Like, it's funny. Like, that just makes me think. I mean, this this 
this kind of is related but I'm in this Twin Peaks group you know like on Facebook and so like some people are just like really into stuff and like someone will try to explain like David Lynch and get it wrong and they're like no learn Lynch so I'm like learn Christopher like (laughs) learn Christopher dude Yeah, because, like, it was so stupid. Like, this guy's just like, what's it called? You're sounding like a misandrist. And I'm like, I, I've taken a, I ta- I've taken a film theory class. I know what I'm fucking talking about. I can go <laughs> pull my book out if you want. Also, you like, about- why is misandry, like, a bad thing? Like, fuck men, to be honest. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Leo. And Thank as you. always. <laughs> um, let them know where they can find you on the internet. And, I put uh, my my Twitter at on by my name Lumpy. Space remember this, bitch. yeah. The remember the video version is available to patrons on <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/nerdcore. So not everybody will have the video version, mm-hmm. but they will. Everybody will have the audio version. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter at Lumpy Space Bitch. The I is a one, and I'm also on twitch but i haven't been on in forever i was temporarily um suspended because of um the b word in my name but they gave me a new name which i did not choose but i'm on (laughs) i'm on twitch now as lumpy space dinosaur uh (laughs) i will probably change that later on but um i will be streaming a bit this month if people want to pop in (laughs) i always hop in of course yeah but Thanks. we, I tried my best to make sure that we could get Twitch's attention with that, because that's... It was so dumb. Uh, I, it's honestly so fucking funny, though, that, like, I had just kind of given up at that point, and then I get an email, and they're like, welcome back, Lumpy Space Dinosaur, and I was like, oh! What? <laughs> weird, weird choice, but okay. Like, I gave them a list of other options, and they just went with some random one that I did not provide lumpy, so lumpy space queen you know Let's right yeah exactly like i'll probably i'll i'll do a little um poll and people can help me pick my new name sometime yeah. next month but for now we're lumpy space dinosaur and we're rolling with it <laughs> rxd baby <laughs> lumpy twitch.tv slash uh lumpy space dinosaur y'all yep um but as always, uh, you can find me at the Nerd Chigan on both Instagram and Twitter. You can keep up to date with all the stuff I do on the Nerdcore at the Nerdcore.com. But um, I am going to go ahead and switch things around. Um, and uh, these are only available to patrons, of course, the video versions. But um, at the end of the season, I will be uploading the full season two to my personal YouTube channel. And I'm going to be moving the podcast over to my personal YouTube channel, at least the video versions, because... Uh, this also has its own feed on on audio, so this is going to be start going to my my what's it called uh, my YouTube channel. Of course, this will still be associated with the Nerdcore because it's still a show from the Nerdcore. It's just going to be living at a, in a different channel, um, and that means that season three video versions will all be available on my YouTube channel and stuff like that. But we'll talk more about that when we get there. But in the meantime, it has been a great time. I like I said. I am taking this as slow as I can. I said I was going to record two episodes in November, and I recorded two episodes in November. So I don't know who my next guest is, but I do know that it's probably going to be a great one. So in the meantime, it has been a great time. I don't have an outro, my friends. I just say go and experience some cinema. And, of course, I will see you all on the next one.